0: HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, people of color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z.
1: Made me in the kitchen, what are we going? Hearts are history, share it on a play. What do you taste? Bring your body, bring your The past few months have been so much. I don't really even have words for the magnitude of it all. I have felt fear and grief and anger and hope. And a lot of times I've mostly felt weird and far from myself. But in sitting down to record this, I'm thinking about the ways that food has been such a constant through all of it. I mean, of course, on a practical level, but what I mean is that food stories are so deeply tied to the other stories of this moment. While some folks are using their time at home to finally crack open their cookbook collection or master sourdough bread, others are suddenly dealing with crushing food insecurity. COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing among migrant farm workers, the backbone of our food system. Racism, and specifically anti-blackness, is being called out across the food media world. And communities are finding ways to take care of themselves, be it through little food pantries or mutual aid distribution sites or just handing out snacks at a protest. And in this work in particular, the leaders are so often black queer folks. This has always been the case, that the folks at the margins are closest to the solutions. With that in mind, I wanted to start this season with the conversation that I had a few weeks ago. I was joined on Zoom by Vanessa Parrish, Andre Springer, John DeBerry, and Christopher Murray, who are all doing incredible work to keep their communities not only fed, but nourished. Here's our conversation.
0: Just to give you a little overview of um, who we are, um, Heritage Radio Network, for those of you who are are not familiar is a nonprofit podcast network. We have 35 weekly series, um, and our mission is to create a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious world by expanding the way eaters think about food. Um, And we usually record our shows from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn, but like so many of you, we moved to remote operations in March and somehow have been putting out really amazing podcast content throughout COVID-19. Um, and it's sort of a, a nice serendipitous connection that we've made with the Hetrick Martin Institute through our mutual partner, TD Bank, suggested that we connect with HMI um, and do an event. And until then, I, I wasn't familiar with the amazing work that they do. But for those of you who are new to HMI, um, they're another nonprofit, uh, the Hetrick Martin Institute. And they serve LGBTQ youth who are between the ages of 13 and 24. They offer wraparound services that include food, clothing, showers, counseling, um, job readiness training, arts and culture. It's amazing. I was able to visit their facility um, in Manhattan earlier this year when visiting new friends was (laughs) something we could do. Um, And when their physical space was open to the public, they offered hot meals, to youth um, six days a week. And they are continuing to offer resources and support to improve food access and help their members find um, safe and safety and resources they need. So we wanna thank TD Bank for making that connection between HRN and HMI. Um, We're really committed to making sure that we use our platform to have important conversations like this celebrating the intersection of queer activism and the Black Lives Matter movement that we're experiencing now in Pride 2020. Um, And with that, I'm gonna hand it over to Nico Whistler who hosts Queer the Table on Heritage Radio Network, which is a podcast about the joyful, messy, radical magic that happens in spaces where queerness and food intersect. Um, So take it away, Nico.
1: Okay, had to unmute. Um, Yeah, I'm Nico. Uh, I host a show about queerness of food, I'm interested in what queer folks are doing across food systems, and I feel like I wasn't hearing those stories, I was hearing stories of queer food in like a very shallow way of like rainbow bagels, and uh, there's a lot more to it, and there's, yeah, I think marginalized folks are often, um, you know, leading from the margins. And so I wanted to give voice to that. And I'm really thrilled to be giving voice to that today. Some of the folks that are here have been on the on Queer the Table in the past, um, and some folks are new. And I'm really grateful that you're all here in a time when, I don't know, energy feels like a very scant resource. Um, and I'm really grateful that you're giving some energy to this. And I'm so inspired by all of your work. Um, I guess I'll start by just having all of our panelists introduce themselves. There are four lovely people that are gonna be speaking about um, who they are and what they do. And I'll just go in, in the order that you are on my Brady Bunch Zoom screen. <laughs> so Chris, you're right next to me. If you wanna just, who are you? What do you do? Why do you do it? Um, you can unmute yourself. I'm not even, I'm-
2: Sure. Hello, Nico, and thank you for having me for Career at the Table. Hello also to my other esteemed panelists. Happy to share this space with you. Uh, I'm Christopher Murray. My pronouns are they, them. I work at the Hedrick Martin Institute in the capacity of an educational specialist around health and wellness, and also as the capacity as the on site HIV tester. Um, so that's who I am and what I do. Why I do is just a little bit of a backstory about me. My mother was a black trans woman who lived with HIV and died of AIDS. And, you know, rest her soul, I love her to death, even to this day, but it is very much my mission to do what I call save the world. And so I am in the trenches, fighting HIV, educating those at Target youth, and really trying to make the world a better place.
1: Andre, you're right next to Chris. Do you wanna go next?
2: Hey. Hi, uh,
3: hey everyone. Uh, My name is Andre Springer. And I am the creator and founder of Shaquanda's Hot Pepper Sauce, uh, which was created out of a drag performance in 2014. And thank you to everyone who's here and bringing in the sunlight and casting out that shade.
1: Thanks, Andre. Um, Vanessa, hit it. Hey guys, I'm
4: Vanessa Parrish. Um, My pronouns are she, her. Um, I'm a chef based out in Los Angeles from North Carolina. Shout out. And um, so what I do, I am a chef and an entrepreneur and a mentor. And um, I specialize in mentoring um, chefs of color and queer chefs of color. And um, why I do it? That's a great question. Um, I do it because I really love... Um, spreading joy and knowledge, I think those are two very invaluable things that we need to grow as people. And so I like to use that in cooking, and I like to use that in my mentoring. And when I'm sharing food with people, I love to share the joy. I love to share the knowledge of food. And that starts just with having conversations like this. Thanks,
1: Vanessa. Um, John.
5: Hello. Hi, uh, my name is John DeBerry. Uh, I am the co-founder and board president of Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. I'm also an author and uh, entrepreneur. um, And I used to be kind of a fancy pants bartender. And the reason why I sort of fell into working with food is um, and continued to do so uh, for a very long time is just because it's such a vital part of our lives, both from a kind of physical sustenance perspective, but also emotionally and culturally, Um, it's just a really powerful way to make life worth living. And i like to help make that happen for people, so.
1: Yeah, thanks everyone. Wow, you're all so rad. Um, When I was prepping for this panel, I was kind of thinking about like, I was thinking about food, I'm always thinking about food. And, I think for me, like in times of stress, uh, which has been like many months and especially the past few weeks of just like stress and grief, food for me kind of becomes like an afterthought. And I'm just like, I guess I'll just fry an egg and eat that again. (laughs) Um, And I was reading about what all of you have been up to and just kind of catching up. And you are like all using food as a tool. Um, for, like, deep work that you're doing in your, in your communities um, and, like, to nourish and to support and uplift folks. And I wonder, like, why food, if anyone feels moved to speak to that? Like, I think sometimes of food as a medium um, that, like, I do other work through. And, yeah, I wonder for y'all, like, why did you come to food um, to do all of the work? That you're doing anyone could take it and just unmute yourself we don't have to go in an order but you feel so moved
3: (laughs) i love food i love eating it (laughs) i love watching it being made i love creating it i love picking it off a tree i think it's one of those um things Things that that i remember remember growing up up that that regardless regardless of of where anyone anyone was was from from or who, who Anyone, anyone was, was didn't, didn't matter because we all ate and we, we all loved eating good things. And so I naturally kind of default to emotional eating, eating, depressed eating, happy eating, sad eating. And, and I found that, that there were so many, many um, different, different ways you can, can really create, create emotions through food. And, and you can, can also bring happiness through food. And, through food. and I thought that, um, you know, know, when when I I think think of being queer, I think of joy and, and, you know, know, bringing bringing that that love love to people. And so so it only was natural for me to start beginning to work work in in food food, where, you you know, know, I worked in restaurants and bars for, you know, know, almost, it it was, was, I left the last place place like like a year and a half ago and I'd I'd been working in restaurants and bars for about 18 years. So, you know, I had a long run with hospitality and just, just interfacing, interfacing with, with different people uh, throughout, throughout New, New York City, City at different, different places. places. And, you know, you know like, like thinking, thinking of starting, of starting a, a business, like I didn't intentionally need to start, start creating
4: sauces. It, it just, just kind of fell
3: into place with my art practice, my art practice which was based, based in, performance in performance and video. And, you know, and you know I, was I was tasting out the, the sauce, sauce and people, people were reacting, reacting to it so positively. And, you know, it just only made sense to continue that joy
1: and, and so, so that's, that's why I kind of, that's, that's why, why I'm still, still in food. Uh, food is joy. I love that. Andre, anyone else wants to jump in? <laughs>
4: um, I'll jump in. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> <laughs> Seems so weird. <laughs> uh, I want to um, say that food for me has always been family. I, I grew up with a really close knit family and our kitchen was our home base in on the house. And my grandmother always had an extra plate for whoever wanted it, whoever needed it. Um, so I kind of adapted that when I was growing up in college. Um, you know, college kids, you know, we're all scrounged around for food, but I always made sure there was extra food for people and um, anyone that wanted to learn how to make food for themselves. Um, my kitchen was always open. Um, food also got me through a lot of like depressive times because just being in the kitchen being in my own space being in my own zone um, it's always been a, um, a sense of wellness for me and then even now like with my private catering company and my mentorship program I'm bringing those lessons that I learned from home into the programs of making it family-centered like you know when you come into this space and you learn with me you're not just a student you are a part of my family and we're sharing these things together so um, that's kind of what food is. It's the kind of your your hearth and your home.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Vanessa. Chris, I know that you're at, I see, I see you like thinking about jumping in. I was just going to say like, I know you're at HMI, but you know, it, just in conversation with you, like food is such a big part of what you do. I wonder what you're thinking, even though you're not like,
2: So let me preface what I'm about to say kind of with a joke. And this is kind of the joke that I tell repeatedly to many other people who ever asked me about food. I can burn water. My level of cooking is so bad that I could literally burn water and you would have burnt ice. Um, But that's besides the point because for me working at HMI, it's so important because we like to empower our youth and advocate for our youth. And how we do that is through... Through teaching them that there are methods of self empowerment, and I work at HMI right now in the capacity of working remotely. I also am providing fee- like meal card distribution to people, meaning that I send out a set of money, a set amount of money to a particular youth every week. And right now, there's about 150 youth that are on that list. So that's a good chunk of money that's going to these youth to make meals. Um, that's really important because you know our youth being at Target, homeless LGBTQ youth who are 13 to 24, one of the biggest things that that impacts them is family. And I have, I have learned and even grown to love that food brings family, food creates family. Food also creates self-empowerment. You know, I could be in a conversation with a youth and say, hey, like, have you eaten today? And they'll say, yes. And I'm like, oh, cool, did you make it? Tell me. And they'll tell me about their food and you'll see them glow and you'll see them be really happy about something that they made. And that brings me so much joy and it's so empowering to like, you know, notice a youth is going through something and I can tap back into it and be like, hey, remember that one time you made that delicious meal for yourself? How did that feel? How did that feel to feed you and feed more than just you? You know? And it's it's such a glowing capacity and such an honor for me to have that role in this time because there's so much happiness in the joy of being queer and having the meal and also building your community that way. And even during this time of living in the Black Lives Matter movement, and even living in this time of COVID-19, that movement hasn't stopped. People are still dining with each other the best ways that they can.
1: Yeah, that's a sweet segue for me, but um, John, do you want to jump in? Did you have thoughts or do you want to move? Uh,
2: Yeah,
5: I mean, I I actually, straight out of college, I worked as a, funny it's oddly relevant again but I worked for a city agency that investigated complaints against the police um, and that was very illuminating but it was also very kind of hollow because you just do a lot of work and you create papers and you do this research and then you just go nowhere whereas if you're working in a bar or a restaurant you're actually physically creating someone something in front of someone and like changing their life not in a, maybe not a drastic way but you're really having an impact on the person and it sort of happens between you know, people who are in the same space physically. Um, and I thought that was just so rewarding um, and such a great way to, um, like I said, it kind of makes life worth living. It's like any kind of art form, you know, that, that beauty is kind of the reward um, for civilization. And so um, that to me is a very vital source of that. So um, it just kept me going through many different transitions from you know, bartending to writing to, starting a nonprofit, it's all kind of tied up in the same impulse.
1: Yeah, I think, so the thing that I noticed is that all of you talked about food as like a vehicle to connect with people. Um, And so I'm wondering, I feel like for many months I didn't see anyone and now I'm starting to run into people like at protests and noticing the way that folks are like caring for each other there. And a lot of it revolves around food. Um, But it's like been a season. Uh, And so I'm wondering like, yeah, how has your work, work shifted in the last few months? And like if connection is kind of at the root of that, I'm curious like what ways you have found to keep keep that up through all of this.
2: Um, if I may, um, I, I want to say like also to pivot on that point where I said like food is family, right? Um, right now, as we're living through the moment of black lives matter, food is also healing. Um, Food is, you know, putting many different people, you know, who never, who all have this great, you know, the same idea that we should all have the same rights, human rights, of course, not even the question. But the glory and the food being healing is that there are people who come from different communities who, you know, are learning different things about Black Lives Matter. Now people are saying, you know, black trans lives matter because, you know what, there's conversation happening at tables. And I'm, I'm doing the work in the capacity of being able to send out my youth, if they're going to go protest, they need to have something to eat. And also, like, if they're going to have that money to eat and they're out somewhere where they can pick up food, they might run into someone that they know. Or they might meet a new person from their community. And so there's different ways. And I've even in my clients that I've talked to, they've all come back and they said, you know, I actually went out and I had a really great time and I met somebody and it was really great and we're going to go to a protest together and they're really affirming of my identity and me and I feel safe. Those are Those are words that are worth more than... <laughs> You know, than gold at this point. You know.
1: Yeah.
4: Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Um. I'll go ahead. So, it's a really awesome question, Nico. Um. Because my work, uh, as a private chef. Well, well. Um. I have a private chef, and I also own a pop-up restaurant that we travel across the country and do tours and. um so most of my work is in person and now that has been completely eradicated now (laughs) um so and that's where i get most of my joy from is being in person i'm a total extrovert so i've been dying inside um staying indoors uh so uh, i've decided to channel a lot of my energy into my new program that i just started um so i have been doing online cooking classes for um black folks and with the prioritization of black lgbt plus um folks um just because i wanted to have a space where with all the black lives matter and all the protesting and even with pride month happening um i wanted us to have a space where we could um like Chris was saying, like have a space of wellness um, and kind of get away, have a place where we can connect with each other and do something healing that's like, you know, for yourself. So I started these cooking classes. They're online. We meet up twice a week. I teach pastry and savory. Um, and then I also we, I did a scholarship component where I invited people um, to donate money to fund groceries for those that were underprivileged and could not afford groceries to attend the classes on their own so now i have attendees that um are you know they're just coming in you know we're getting together twice a week and then i also have my scholarship participants that come in and they're able to share their food with their loved ones in their homes and that's just kind of been my new focus as of recently is you know um shifting gears as to what Me sharing food looks like going from in person to online, um, which is -hmm. it's been a nice gradual uh, shift. I, I definitely miss like that interconnection between energy to energy, but I still get some of that just by doing what I love and getting people involved and challenging them in their own homes.
1: Yeah, that's such a great resource. I was going to jump in with just like, yeah, for non-Black folks listening, you can sponsor a class or sponsor groceries and we'll link to everyone's socials, but um, that's a really tangible resource to support. Um, John and Andre, you both are also doing so much right now in the last few months. Jump in.
3: Uh, So like, I've been like, moving to so like before
0: (laughs) (laughs) right we also just all have lives
3: (laughs) so like before like uh covid happened i had moved um out of my apartment and was looking for a place and so i got caught like in my friends uh like stuck in my friend's place which was a good thing and i was able to do a lot of family dinners uh with them so that was nice um all my drag stuff was in storage so that was kind of hard to navigate to like you know like do drag online like because I think that part of my work uh is about activating spaces that are normally not queer because I am in markets that generally um you know are like pretty they feel pretty safe and sometimes they're just like out there and I don't know and I think having the opportunity to meet someone that normally wouldn't meet someone like myself, you know, and I'm able to bring this joy and have this commonality with that person. Because, you know, a lot of dads and granddads, you know, in a different generation love hot sauce. And so when they approach me and I'm in drag, I'm just kind of like, hey, <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> and they're like, oh, but you know, they like the sauce and then we talk. And so we have an opportunity to have a conversation and to mm-hmm. get to know each other and they leave, you know, with a positive feeling. And so I feel like a lot of people don't get the opportunity to meet someone that might be a little bit more eccentric for them. And so when they have like a moment to, to you know, to, to meet and to talk, they're able to form their, you know, own personal opinions and experiences without having any sort of, prejudice behind it and you know I miss doing things like that and you know I've moved um into more like showing more cooking like doing more like dishes that I can that you can create with hot sauce because for me hot sauce is not just a condiment it's something that you add to when you're cooking or you know when you're marinating so that's been like a fun thing to sort of shift my attention to doing more culinary things and you know, now that I have my makeup back, I did drag bingo, so that was fun. And, like, you know, doing fun kind of, like, camp things on Zoom and learning how to, you know, operate um, these technology things because I actually really suck at this stuff. So it's kind of <laughs> funny. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm on the computer doing stuff. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just about doing that. And I think... um I would love to do more video work because that is a part of my um, ongoing thing with my sauce is like, you know, making these short videos to kind of like put it, I guess like have another sort of extension of it um, and also a commentary on pop culture. So I Mm -hmm. miss that aspect of collaboration and like now it's like trying to figure out how to collaborate uh, through like this technology. So, that's something that I think would be interesting to kind of play around with um, and just, you know, hoping for the best.
1: Yeah, it feels like the long haul. So, you got time to play. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and, John, do you want to talk a little bit about Restaurant Workers Community Foundation work?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> I had started the foundation with a group of uh, hospitality and nonprofit. Uh, people. My, my husband is a philanthropic advisor, so we kind of have a nice um, hybrid um, expertise there. And uh, we officially started in 2018, um, and then we were focused on improving quality of life for restaurant workers um, through grant making, advocacy, and impact investing. Um, and you know, we were kind of a startup mode. We were had some modest fundraising goals for last year, and we were kind of had some little bit less modest goals for this year. Um, and then, as the the COVID storm started to roll in, and it became clear that there was going to be like a really significant um, crisis, for lack of a better word, um, for for restaurant workers, um, that, that we needed to have a specific response, uh, just geared for that, and do some relief uh, fundraising. And uh, we um, started the fund on March fifteenth. And we also wanted to create like a set of resources and like really a place for people to get knowledge. And that was sort of like what we thought was gonna be um, the core of like the work that we'd be doing for this. Um, But then the fundraising totally took off um, and we've raised about $6 million since March 15th, which is just like really astonishing. And like, I can't wrap wrap my mind around uh, that amount of money really. And um, what what we've pledged to do with the money is um, at, to back up a community foundation is similar to like a traditional foundation in that we're primarily grant making. Um, but with the community foundation model, it, uh, we also raise the money. Uh, so it's like even, you know, we, we're doing fundraising and kind of passing the mo- uh, money along to people. And there's model, models for this are usually like for LGBT people. There's the Stonewall Community Foundation. There's uh, regional community foundations for like a state or a city. Um, We're applying that to a labor segment and that's the first time that we have have been that encounter that's been done. So um, we kind of tapped our our network and we got some um, media attention very early on and it just sort of caught fire and uh, our our fundraising kind of (laughs) blew our minds a little bit. And with that fund, um, half of it goes to direct financial assistance and we're partnering with a... Uh, organization based out of Houston called the Southern Smoke Foundation and they are able to provide, it's something that they've been doing for years now where they take applications for people who are experiencing like a a serious emergency restaurant workers or food service workers who are experiencing like very life-threatening situations like medical, fleeing abusive spouses, like these kinds of very serious things and provide them with the money they need to really like survive, you know, and they work with that person individually. So half of our money is going to them, a quarter of our money is going to other um, nonprofits that are doing crisis relief work um, throughout the country. And then the the final quarter of it is um, going to a zero zero interest, uh, no collateral loan program for restaurants, for small businesses that are kind of looking to get uh, back up and running and um, transition to this sort of like new normal for however long that lasts. and it's just been a, a very uh, a, a big shift in the amount of time that I spend with the, with the organization, but it's also been really um, kind of nice to be connected to so many people through this um, and uh, feel like there's you're, you're doing something, really, because I think if I was just stuck in my house rattling around, um, it wouldn't be a good scene. And so you're sort of witnessing a lot of the suffering and you're trying to help people Um, but then you're also, there's so many people just reaching out, coming out of the woodwork you know, institutional funding you know, uh, brands just people writing us checks, it's been really amazing to witness that as well Um, and to see how much like love there is for the restaurant industry and I think what we're all kind of learning is how how important being able to go to a restaurant is for, for everybody and how much you're really losing by not having that that experience as provided by other human beings? Because we're all kind of cooking for ourselves, and I think that's huge. Um, and you know, people have varying levels of success, but then, no matter how great that that is, um, there's still something to be said for that experience. And I think people are learning the value of that and how much uh, they were willing to pay for it. Um, And now they're trying to, like, help support those people who who provided such a, a vital service for them.
1: Right. Yeah, hearing all of you talk, I'm also thinking about, like, the ways in which so often, like, throughout history and now, like, queer folks and marginalized folks have been left to kind of care for ourselves and care for each other and, like, really know how to do that. And, like, are showing other people how to do that in a time when, like, it's much more urgent um, for folks that maybe don't have that knowledge and that historical knowledge. And we were talking in our sound check a little bit about the food world and food media reckoning that is, like, finally happening. Um, I feel like this is a lot, a time where, like, not for everyone, but for many, many people, like, truths are... Coming to light, um, yeah, and we were talking about what what is it that like queer folks, people of color, particularly black folks in the food world, straddle this kind of place of being like tokenized when it 's convenient and exploited um, and we like started to talk about it, and then we had to do sound check things, but I wonder, like, what are you? I guess for me that like that brings up pain for my own identities and, and also imagination. Um, but yeah, I I know you all have things to say on that that we didn't get to in soundcheck. And so just like, what are you feeling? How are you reacting? What are you imagining? Um,
3: well, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like happy that the reckoning is upon us because <laughs> It's about time, and for me, like, my work has always been about authorship and about um, the authenticity of authorship, because I think um, a lot of times food gets in this sort of gray, muddy area, and, like, all of our cultures have exchanged techniques of of cooking, of produce, of cultivation of things, so, you know, it's kind of... um, there gets this to this weird point. I feel where it's like, you can appreciate someone's food and you can like, you can create a product and sell that product. But it's like, are you using someone's culture? Are you like capitalizing on someone's identity in order to, to like sell your product? So like looking at capitalism from, from a different, like I'm looking at from my product, looking at capitalism from a holistic place and a a very authentic place and a a place of um coming correct and what we're seeing right now is the exposing of of brands and like their like who do they support and where do they get their things from and how do they get things made are they using prison systems in order to create a product and it's kind of sad when you have like food which is something at the basis of like what we need in order to survive or what we need to entertain ourselves and a lot of times these ingredients come from very like kind of weird places and unfortunate places and places of, of suffering and labor and watching the system sort of like collapsing on itself. And we live in the age of information where we can know, I feel like our generation and the generation below us have like woken up and been like, Hey, like I want to, I really want to support things that... Support the same things that I, like, want and look up to. And coming from... You know, I want to support a thing that's, like, authentic. And so... I'm sad to see a lot of violence. I'm sad to... To be in a time where, you know, cops are still killing my people. But... I'm also hopeful that you know that we're going to come out of this with um with some equity and and a better situation and a better life like especially you know we think of how advanced we are as people and as a civilization and in this country and meanwhile you know the bulk you know for people like us we're kind of in this place where it's just like can you stop killing us and stop arresting us and can you tear down these statues of things that signify violence and rape and slavery and so what I'm seeing in the food world is moving towards authenticity and moving away from caricatures and like if you know like for me my character I am a caricature of myself but that's my identity and my culture and my way of expressing myself and it's my choice to do that and my like authentic right to and i think it's i'm happy to see a lot of people of color not only black but like other brown people creating things and capitalizing on their own their own authentic selves and the things
2: that they grew up eating and the things that they like to eat
4: so i'm kind of in an intersection of being in food media and being in, like, the food world away from food media um, because, of, because of my kidney business. But then I also, like, did a media show and I work with media brands and things like that. Um, so it's interesting that I have had a lot of um, phone calls in the last couple of weeks just because I am a triple intersectional, um, which means I am a woman, I am queer, and I am black. Um, so, um, a lot of people, um, in the food world, especially media, when they see or hear about me, they're like, oh, check, 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 you know? And, um, so it, it can be like you, like you said earlier, kind of like tokenized. It's a lot of tokenism, but then there's not a lot of listening. And that's where the frustration comes from is that. Um, they want your your face, they want your representation, but they don't want your voice. And they don't want to hear what you have to say when you have critiques about how they're making their business models work, especially when you're involved or even when you're not involved, but you have an affiliation. And so they want you to have this affiliation with them, but they're not doing the practices of making sure that they're coming correct in all faucets. And so um, I'm glad to see that people are being taken to task and that companies and media brands have at this point really no choice to um, really look inward and reassess and reevaluate what they're doing and um, make changes because a lot of, we're not staying silent anymore. We're not staying complacent. And in order for any sort of growth to really happen in those companies, they're gonna have to look at what the world is, how the world is shifting. Um, And that involves um, hearing and finally listening to those in those multitude of intersections.
1: Uh, Thank you.
2: Here, I'm up. Um, I'm really glad. I'm really glad that... Actually, no worries. Um, I'm really glad, Nico, that you posed that question um, because it brings me to a point... It brings me to a point about what's happening in the world and also how that how this world is also impacting HMI and the work that we do. Um, to answer your question, I am also on a very happy, ecstatic person about the call-out that's happening in media um, because, you know, these people, these people with the way that they think and the way that they've operated in the world, have shown to us that it's time for them to move aside. And what's great about the work that we do at HMI when it comes to food, isn't just also handing somebody a meal, but part of what we do is also helping somebody get their food handler's license. There are many cooks to be at my institute and there's many cooks who don't even know that they wanna be cooks yet. There are so many chefs and so many people who might wanna make their own hot sauce, or they might wanna become a sommelier, and they they haven't seen the space for them until now. And now that there's conscious, re, they're calling out of the people in the media, there is accountability being happen, happening. These people of those communities will now get that spotlight that they have worked so hard for. They've worked really hard to be these people and to be the adults that they wanna be. Um, and another great facet of the media call out and a great point that Vanessa brought up was also the accountability of everything happening. Uh, big. A big community that HMI also services is the Vogue ballroom community. And for those of you that know ballroom and know about the voguing movements from, you know, the Madonna days up until now, that community has been nothing but rife with people who just want to exploit them. They're, you know, some of the best dancers you'll see. they some of the best models you'll see. they some of the best people you'll ever meet. And now that there's so much accountability happening in the media, these people can feel free to do their art and feed their bodies and feed their souls without somebody else looking to impact them. Um, it makes me very happy because it's one that's one less trauma that's out there in the world that my youth will have to go through. And you know, and also myself, also being a black person, also being a black queer person in this time, also holding trauma while also trying to feed a body. You know, it's nice to have my own community and have the bigger community do those, do those accountability checks so that I can do my work even more better for the youth who are also doing the work to meet me in the middle, to be great adults. Mm,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, we all have a lot of like checking to do for accountability this time. Um, I'm looking at time and I know that it's time for me to stop being the person asking questions, which is very exciting. Um, so I think some other folks from HMI are going to moderate if attendants have questions and maybe just like as people, so Hannah explained it, you can type a question into the Q and A box at the bottom of zoom, but maybe as folks are doing that, um, I am not the expert in this space, and so I also wanted to give voice to if panelists want to ask each other questions, have at it, and if not, um, no pressure again, but attendees can ask, but anyone else can ask a question.
2: It's everyone else's turn. <laughs> Hannah, did I clearly
1: explain that? I saw you and then you oh,
0: left. <laughs> no, that was brilliant, and I think, okay. I mean, This Zoom events are so strange. Um and I think if folks in the audience, if there were like topics that you know you're curious to hear our panelists' takes on, um or you just have an an idea you want to share, go for it. Um
6: I have one question queued up that I can start with. Um Hey Greg. This is Uh, what are some real tangible ways the service industry can improve its culture in terms of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, et cetera. Um, I know there was conversation around a lot of things coming to light in recent weeks. Um, but moving forward, what are some tangible ways that you can actually see changes in a number of these industries, which include food media?
0: Hmm.
1: Anyone can take that. <laughs> okay.
2: Um. <laughs> uh, just real quick. I mean, in my, my answer is literally just a couple words. Hire black trans chefs. Hire black trans chefs. There are so many. They are all out there in the world. They have taught themselves how to cook. They're ready to feed families. They feed their own bodies. They fed their bodies before and after a transition. Hire black trans chefs.
4: Yeah, I mean... I was going to say something say this um <laughs> higher. <laughs> um and like even when like the way you can see the um the tangible results of action is look when you walk into a restaurant and you walk to pick up your food, you walk to sit down, look and see who's serving your food, who sat you down, who's bartending, who's behind the kitchen, who's managing are they diverse groups of people you can see just in the front of house you can see who's in the back of house you'll be able to see the type of people that they're hiring and that they're working with and the type of food sources that they're getting from and you can ask those questions like where do you get your food from and things of that sort they have the answers and so um that's that's the number one is like just look and be observant as to and even in food media look and see who's getting published, who's getting published in their blogs, who's getting published in their in their tangible magazines. Um, research these people and see like the names that are actually getting hired to do their work, um, whether it's with the photography, whether it's with recipes, whatever. Um, look and see who they're hiring next. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I,
1: Chris, I'm, I'm really glad, and Vanessa, that you were just like, this is a simple thing of hiring because I feel like I'm seeing a lot of of in food media, in my general life, like black folks being asked to do this labor of answering the question of like, what do I do? What do I do what do I do? And the answer is like, are your spaces diverse? Are you working to educate yourself? What kind of res- representation do you have? And so, yeah, I'm glad that you laid it out in a simple way of like, get folks at the table in the room.
4: And, and I will say, in addition to hire, um, equal pay is also preferred because you want to hire people, but you want to pay them the same.
1: Um, yeah. That's
4: also a big disparity that has come out into food media is that people have been discovered that they are hiring, but they're not paying the same. Mm-hmm.
2: And I also want to make a good point, too, of like just remembering like tr- staff can be trained. Ad staff can also be advocated for, you know, and there's always ways of bringing in those points into a conversation, you know, when you walk in and you ask somebody, like, hey, like, especially a worker, like, hey, how do they treat you here, you know? And, you know, knowing people of family and community, you know, hey, if I see another queer person, I'm like, hey, how do they treat you here? Not so well? Well, cool. My agency does advocacy trainings and cultural competency trainings around this. We will come teach you how to be better to queer people. It won't take us long because, you know, there's not much to it. But hey, if that's a capacity that we can help, then that's a way that we can help. And that's another way of holding people accountable.
0: Go, sorry to jump in, but this actually segues really well into a couple of the Q&As we've got from the audience, if I can shoot those at yeah, you. Yeah,
1: it's funny because I can't see you, so I'm just like, where is your voice coming from, Emily? But yes,
0: go. The void. Uh, I come from the void. So we have one, uh, Vanessa, or anyone really... To your point about coming correct, do you have a checklist of things that you would ask a media company or brand to ensure they're walking the walk before you agree to be associated with them?
4: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think that comes with kind of like what we previously answered, like you, like you said, is a good segue of um, looking around to see who um, they're hiring and who they're working with. And also, um, the food world is small. So people talk <laughs> and we know who's who's willing to work with. We know who's, you know, undercutting people and things of that sort. So I usually before I even um, work with brands, I will um, usually they they've come to me from some other place. So, you know, um, finding out uh, I'm really bad at finding out where they find out where I'm from, but just finding out who else they have worked with. And finding out, you know, what their mission is and making sure, like, Nico was saying I'm not the token, which happens to be a lot. And even when I'm working in kitchens and restaurants, I am usually the only black queer person there or a black person there. So, um, making sure that, like, asking when they're hiring again, hey, who are you going to be hiring next? And how can I help you guys? Um, hire some people like me in this kitchen and in this space so kind of just speaking up about it is a really big point um and uh it's not really it's kind of like a mental checklist of just making sure that I know who I'm working with and what they support in that type of sense
0: I have a question that is sort of directed at at John but also at everyone like pinging off of the question earlier and Vanessa's response to is like, as a, like looking, honing in on an industry, right? Like it's almost, pretty much every industry needs to reassess, right? But like looking at restaurants, like Christopher, you mentioned some like resources available. Okay. Like how can, how can you make your workplace a safe space? Um, John, like what are you seeing as someone who like you're providing resources to restaurants and like, you've been in that, industry for such a long time like what are some really tangible resources like put this into practice in a way that like isn't tokenism it's like meaningful lasting change
5: well it's it's hard because i don't necessarily provide these trainings so i don't think that i'm an expert in them but i think that there's a lot of work that people can do to um, examine their own understandings of who's allowed to succeed and who's allowed to be in a certain spot and i think Um, A lot of times people think that comes from an external source. Like I've been talking to people, um, like white people about the food media kind of reckoning that's going on. and, And some of the common thing I've heard is like, well, this is what people want to read. So this is why we're publishing these people. And I just don't buy that at all because it's like, you're telling people what they're supposed to read. You're telling people these are the top 10 chefs in in America right now. And then you turn around and act like your hands are tied when the only stories get clicks are from a particular type of person. So I think it really starts with just examining your own, um, like who you think deserves success and whether or not that comes from a real place of what the actual deserving is or if it comes from white supremacy, patriarchy, transphobia and trying to separate that out for yourself before
2: making, you know, and then that's the beginning of of the change.
6: I kind of
4: want to piggyback off of John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so great. Like, cause you said that like, um, well, our hands are tied. Like that's what people want to like see. And it's so false. Like, I can't tell you how many times like um, just a quick bit um, when I when I did my show with the brand I won't name um, I won't call them out um, but uh, we I was their first person of color ever on that that platform and I was their first long form person of uh, long form video person of color um, and their viewership had a fit um, to the point where they had to take my face off of the thumbnails and just put the recipes up. And things like that because their brand and they're like, well, what are we going to do? Like, see, we told you that people don't want to watch these type of videos. And it's like, no, it's because you introduced your brand to be a space where they can throw a fit and that they don't see diversity and they don't see multitude of people. And so when you introduce a brand like that, when you switch it, they're like, what's going on? But you started it. You introduced what to expect. And so that's the
3: problem. Right. And they should have held... That brand should have kept your images up and not put any, like, taken away... They shouldn't have taken away your face. And it's, like, what, like, you know, people in power should be held accountable for. It's, like, they can they can really shape the direction of how things are going to go. Like, you know, like, having... Erasing your face, like puts, I don't it's, it's messed up. It gives that, those like trolls like power because like if they would have kept your face up, then that's a statement being like, no, fuck you guys. Like, you know, this is America, you know what? And guess what? A lot of like American food culture comes from people that look like you and me. So get with the program.
1: Right. Yeah. To keep the food and or to keep the recipes, too, is like feels especially sinister of like we still want the clicks on these recipes is like, I mean, I I like hate saying that I'm like shocked and appalled because (laughs) that like shows like I have catching up to do. But it's just like it feels wild to me that we're here, (laughs) you know, like the stories that I am hearing just like, yeah, it feels wild to me.
6: Hey, so we have another question Um, and a good one. I know that we've talked a lot about this already, and we've talked about it with companies and with organizations that have diversity and training systems in place. I'm putting that in quotes, but none of you can see that because my video is not on. (laughs) But um, the question is, we know that kitchens have been notoriously hostile towards women and queer people. do restaurants ever do any unconscious bias training or diversity training of any kind, um, or is that typically unheard of? Um, so anybody could can, connect to this.
3: Vanessa, do you want to go for you? I feel
6: <laughs> correct do response, Andre, Correct response. <laughs>
4: Did you see my face on trades like what is what is that? Um uh, big corporations, some of them do. I've never ha- I've never ever seen like unconscious bias training. Um, and they need it. I've been told um, by executive chefs I can't hire you because you're a woman. Um, to my face. They have said like I don't hire women in my kitchen. Um and they keep going <laughs> and they keep pushing. Um Or there or um, I'll get put in spaces um, in certain kitchens where only the minorities work in that space in that kitchen. And it's a very segregated space. So um, and it's 2020. I'm only 27. So it's not like these are like old practices or anything like that. So I'm going to say no. I think it's completely unheard of until they get called out like Starbucks did and then Starbucks had to close down and then do that unconscious bias training. But it's not a generalized practice at all until there's a problem and they get called out on it from what I've seen.
3: It's also customers too. Like, you know, coming, like going to work and dealing with things with your coworkers and then also dealing with people like, you know, cause most of my like, career in the food industry like in restaurants has always been front of the house and so it's like dealing with people that come to dine and they don't know how to to act correctly around people of color and they want to ask you all sorts of questions or they want to act a certain way and expect certain things differently from you than other people so it's just this like circular environment where you know most of the management you'll see is like white and then you know, your cus- depending on where you are and then your cu- your customers, you know, so you're getting it from both ends. And then there are things that I truly believe that people are just ignorant and but they don't want to do the work. And so when you say something, they don't take you seriously. And then you end up looking like the crazy person or the angry person or, you know, and I'm fine being both, you know, <laughs> So, you know, they end up getting a crazy, angry person like saying things. And, you know, it's just like, you know, my experience working in restaurants has always been, you know, twice as hard because like I'm a a bigger gay man, you know, I'm a black man, I'm a queer man. And, you know, I come to a table and, you know, they expect me to bojangle my way around the table. And I'm like, no, you ain't getting that. I'm sorry, but you ain't getting it. And then they want to complain to management and then management wants to, wants me to act a certain... And I'm just like, no. Like, you don't got homegirl over there doing that to you. Why do I have to do that? Or why is my... Why am I expected to act a certain way? And why am I called out and, like, sort of, like, treated differently from my other coworkers? I will say that I've had the, the opportunity to work in kitchens that... Uh, in restaurants where kitchens were led by women... And it's always been a better environment in general in the whole restaurant when women are in the kitchen and when you see a kitchen that's diverse with like women, men, queer people, trans people, brown people, it's always a better environment front and back of house when you see those
0: things. Well, last call for audience questions and I want to like thank everyone for hanging out with us for the last hour and seeing all of our apartments and being a part of the conversation. Um, One message that a little bird um, sent me, which seems like a nice way to close out the event. um, Since there's really amazing, impactful, important work being done right now, it is heavy and it's hard to like wake up in the morning and be like, okay, here we go. Let's keep fighting. What's the next thing that's gonna happen? Um, so one thing from the past day, couple days, week that has made you feel hopeful, it could be a, an event, it could be a person you met or a book you read or anything.
5: I can go. I got. I got something. Um, something that's made me feel really hopeful is, um, and not just hopeful, but it was a source of hope for me. Was going to all these demonstrations and also getting connected to other worker people in hospitality who want to create um, some sort of organized hospitality worker support system for people who are doing demonstrations and kind of taking that um, that generous, um, but the generosity that everyone in the service industry has. And it's like, you either have it or you don't like, there's like a special kind of person who does well. Um, and these are the people who are out there like handing out water, handing out masks, like doing the, like the volunteer medics, um, and just being around people who are, who want to be able to do that on a more organized level and be able to support this like sustained movement that, um, is happening now and should have happened a long time ago but here we are and so it's just great to see that even though a lot of hot people who work in hospitality right now don't have jobs um, they're still doing the work that they want to do whether or not that's you know revenue generating for them so it was really um, that was a nice moment uh, last week for me.
3: I will say the amount of allyship that I've seen like come out has made me hopeful that um, information is being passed amongst white people between white people and you know like I hadn't seen that before and now I'm seeing that more often and people are you know still need to do the work and still need to listen more but they are listening and so I'm hopeful that all the emotional labor and all the informational labor is not just put on us and that it is being dealt with like and I'm so proud of, you know, my generation and the generation below for really doing the work. And, and for the older folks who are, who are opening up and who are, like, saying something and who are doing the difficult and having the difficult conversations with their family and their friends. And, you know, that has really given me a sense of hope with, um, with America in general.
4: Um. So, yesterday I went to Ikea because it's open. And <laughs> I was very excited that Ikea was open. Uh, I've been in line for a long time. Um, so, uh, Ikea is selling pride bags. Like, you know, Ikea has these reusable bags you can buy for like $0.99. They're selling a pride version. So, obviously I had to buy it. And <laughs> um, I was in the elevator and um, I was holding my stuff oh happy and um this lady's in the elevator with me and she looks at my bag and she goes oh happy pride and I just I was just like that just felt really good um especially like coming from the south where that is not something that you know anyone's gonna say to you <laughs> and especially not in public spaces um so to know that that's just a little indicator that people are being cognizant of what's going on in the world and that she just felt compelled to just say something nice to me about it. Um, Just kind of brightened my day. Like, okay, it's little steps. We're getting there, you know, (laughs) like, okay, we're we're working on it.
1: Um, I'm, I'm in Philly, but I, so I felt like both, just like really got my heart and I felt big FOMO, but really got my heart um, to see pictures of the Brooklyn Museum yesterday and to see like 15,000 people out for black trans lives. Uh, Yeah, that was like a, I don't know what it, I don't know if I would go so far as hopeful, but it felt really good. Um, I hope to feel hopeful. yeah, but that really felt
2: good for me. And then I'll say for me a moment that helped me feel, that brings me to the space of being hopeful. So last week um, at HMI, we had sort of like a, what we call a community meeting, which was the first time that we've done that virtually since we've had to rem- work, do, go into working from home or working remotely. Um, and it was, you know, a great space. It's where we invite all the staff as well as all of our young people to share space and we talk about the Institute, we talk about what's going on and real life current events. And so there was a great moment where all of our youth, first of all, that was one of the first times I've seen all of those youth in that same space and since March, uh, so I miss my kids. Um, but also it was nice because we all talked about Black Lives Matter and what did it mean to be black to them and there were so many moments of resilience and so many moments of empowerment and advocacy and it, felt, it helped me feel really hopeful because where I work was started as a response to violence toward the queer person. And here I am today, continuing on that legacy to do this for other you know, queer people who are gonna come up and do great things. And in that moment on Thursday, it was nice to just kind of just settle in, you know, relax in my chair, look at the camera and just say, hi, I haven't seen you in so long and I love you and I miss you.
1: Sweet.
0: Thanks for that question,
1: Hannah. Oh my gosh, of course.
0: Um, before we close, Nico, I'm sure you've already thought of this, but do you all want to tell our audience where to find you on the interweb?
1: Oh, yeah, have a, I hadn't thought of it. I'm glad you did. Please tell the audience. We'll post links too. So, like all of this will become an episode of Queer at the Table, the podcast, and the links will also be there. Um and also the work that our panelists are doing is like so urgent and they're so fun to follow on social media. So please tell everyone where to find you
5: you
3: can okay, I'll ask uh, someone to start. so you can find me at shaquanda will feed you that's because i know some of y'all gonna have problems spelling it so that's s h a q u a n as in nancy d a will feed you you can find me that's www or at and if you want to purchase my sauce you can get it at any northeast Whole Foods, and I have a stockist online at different uh, specialty shops and meat shops across the city.
2: And folks, if you are at home and you're looking for ways to get involved and, you know, want to meet the staff as well as maybe see the space once we're open, uh, you're able to find me at HMI.org. Yeah, so you can find me at
4: VanessaParrish.com. Uh, my social media, all my social media across is uh, Pinch of Brown Sugar. And um, we're also currently still taking donations to sponsor folks for their last week of classes and to get them some groceries to have a good time for their cooking classes. So if you guys want to sponsor a student, um, you can find me on my social media, Pinch of Brown Sugar. Go and
5: then for. For me, I think the simplest thing is for Twitter and Instagram, I'm JN, like Nancy, D3001. Uh, And then you can just find links in my bio to all the other things I'm working on, like Restaurant Workers Community Foundation.
1: And Heritage Radio is at Heritage Radio Network all over the place.
0: Yes. And you can subscribe to Queer the Table or any of our shows on your favorite podcast app or on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, this conversation will be there if you want to share it with anyone who wasn't able to listen live. Um, and and both HRN and HMI are nonprofit organizations who are working our butts off to take care of our communities and tell the important stories. So if you're interested in supporting, reach out to us. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. <laughs> HMI.org.
1: Sick. Thank you so much. This was so fun. This was a bright spot. Thank
0: you. Thank you. Okay, okay. Bye. Love y'all. Yeah.
1: That's it for this week. Queer the Table is typically produced by me, Nico Whistler, but this episode was put together by our fantastic engineer, Matt Patterson. Our theme song was written and performed by Denali Gillespie, and our logo was designed by Natalie Uduwella. The show will be back in your feed every other week. Tell your friends, follow us on social media, and or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts to help other folks find the show. Thank you for listening, and take care.
4: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.
2: This program is powered by Simplecast.